here and welcome to another episode of Jimmy's Shed. Today in the Shed, we are discussing communication in relationships. Super important topic. It's very important. And I've got two awesome guests to help me discuss this very topic. Dr. Clive Williams joins me again in the Shed, 35 years experience as a psychologist and particularly focused on men and men's health. So thrilled to have him back in the shed. And Trish Purnell Webb joins me as well. 38 years experience as a psychologist. Not that there's a competition going on here. (laughs) Uh, For the past 15 years, Trish has run her own private practice up on the Gold Coast dealing with individuals, groups, and couples. So thrilled to have her in the shed as well. Let's get on with it. Please welcome my two guests, Dr. Clive Williams and Trish Purnell Webb. How are you guys? Good, thanks. Thanks for having us. Oh, that's good. I'm going well, you know. We're in Jimmy's shed. Woohoo! Which is uh, for people tuning in for the first time. This is my caravan. And quickly, I think, Dr. Clive, I think we we heard about your shed in a, in a previous episode, um, which was, remind us yes. again, which was an actual shed. Very big. Big, huge shed. It's a big bloody shed. It's <laughs> two cars and feed for the horses. Amazing. Oh, I love that. That's a great place to escape. Mm. Sit in the car. Uh, Turn the radio on <laughs> and feed the horses uh, and smell like well, horse. <laughs> boiling hot summer, freezing cold in winter. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Trish, <laughs> we've been talking about this this shed idea. You know, some yeah. men turn their shed into like a little man cave and, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it's a place to escape, a place to, you know, for storytelling and, and to maybe have a cold beer and, and an afternoon when it's not too cold mm-hmm. or not too hot. <laughs> Do you have this kind of place? Well, I think for women, for women, it is anywhere. It's anywhere Mm. we can gather around a coffee or a cake or anything like that. And we can chat on buses even, Mm -hmm. or, you know, by meeting on the street corner when we're having our walk in the morning. But I know my husband, he doesn't have a shed, but he has Mm. a golf course and a golf club, which Ah, does the same thing. Yes. Yes. It's one of those things. I've got young kids, uh, twin boys who are one and a five-year-old boy as well. And the idea of playing golf is just ridiculous at the moment. I'm just going to take off uh, for six hours, maybe seven. It depends how long we stay in the clubhouse afterwards. So see ya. (laughs) That's right. And actually my husband, his name's Mark or Webby. um, Webby. He played golf. He was playing golf when I first met him because we met uh, very young. I was only 14. Mm-hmm. And so when we had our children, he still wanted to play golf. So we had to negotiate how that would fit in with mm-hmm. all these little little kids because we had three children. Um, and so it's been an ongoing conversation throughout our married life. So we've been married nearly 42 <laughs> years. Got him young, trained him well. That's my story. Uh, that's it. That's <laughs> good. You know, I think the golf conversation, there are many golfers out there going. That's right. <laughs> Well, that's one of the things things about relationships, Jimmy, is that you've got to have all of these what we call continuous dialogue conversations going on because these things come up over and over and over again. So you can't just have one conversation, find the solution and move yeah. on. It doesn't work that way. Remember in 2005 when we covered that? Let's get the meeting notes out. That still stands. <laughs> well, that's it. the topic today is communication in relationships. And I guess the golfing communication, I guess, probably uh, is is prevalent in a lot of in a lot of households. Um, but, you know, I, I guess we should start with what's the importance of good communication in a relationship? I mean, it might sound really obvious to go, oh, yeah, if you communicate well, then everything will be great. But um, what are some of the things you guys see? Uh, Dr. Clive? 
in terms of good communication or the importance yeah, like what of are the, the importance of a good of good communication well um i reckon you know when you look to kind of art and literature and older people reflecting on life and meaning and that it would seem to be across history across the globe that relationships are key to a sense of having a a full and well-lived life, relationships with a romantic And so because, at least in First World Western countries, our romantic attachment one is such a strong relationship, if you can, you know, kick a few goals there, then that's really going to kind of add to just a sense of a life well-lived or enjoying key aspects of it on a regular basis. Mm. Trish? Yeah, I think that uh, communication in any relationship, but particularly in our intimate relationships, is incredibly important because we have to be able to what we call attune to each other. And so what that means is get to know each other well enough that we can almost predict each other's responses to various stimuli like stresses or, you know, happy events. We, we need to know lots about each other in order to fulfil each other's needs in our relationships. So we can't do that unless we can communicate. And, and part of communication is also that emotional communication, which is that next step that we have in our intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that seems one of the things that, you know, blokes traditionally or the stereotype says that, emotions aren't our strong suit um so what are some of the, the pitfalls that the people run into in, in a couple in particular if we're just talking about uh, a, a couple um they may have kids busy lives um and and what are the some of the things that people run into which is common mistakes dr clive uh i think you have to kind of think about the way that we've sort of programmed men in the culture and from little boy through adolescence to adulthood. Uh, this is changing, but in lots of ways, we've still said that whole man up thing, be tough. Um, uh, I know that in my own kind of adolescence, other young boys, adolescent males, we really policed each other's behaviours. And a lot of that was um, nothing to do with kind of an examination or talking about an internal life. Um, so that whole men were allowed anger, that was okay, but anything else was kind of off limits. And really your key job is to protect and provide. And so those were kind of the providing things and just getting on with things, not showing this emotional aspect to it. That was left to women. That's kind of the stereotypical idea. But there's still a lot of truth in that. And so men come to a relationship and women go, I'm feeling this, I'm, I'm needing that, and men kind of go, yeah, sure, yeah, fine, or let's do that or fix that. Or, and then when women want to know more about the internal life of their partner, um, men really struggle with that because we, we may not have a, a language around that, we may not have experience around it. And in fact, it may have been shamed in us. So... Mm. There's a there's a gap in the skill set. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. A guy called Bob Levinson did some research a long time ago looking at this difference in men and women in emotional expression. What was really interesting was that he found that in a 10-minute conversation, men would, women would use nine emotion-laden words mm. and, interestingly, men used eight. So there wasn't actually a statistical difference in the amount of emotion-laden words. But the difference, as Clive pointed out, was that men's emotional language was around what we might call active coping, so anger, frustration, annoyance, mm. you know, uh, uh, stress to get something moving and happening. Whereas women tended to use more passive coping kind of language around sadness, fear, need, hurt, loss, that sort of thing. So there, there was a, a social uh, function of raising our kids in, in communicating to them what was okay to be expressed. And so there has been in Western worlds definitely this difference between men and women in, in the socialisation process. I think it's changing. You know, when I see younger couples these days, um, and certainly having raised two sons of my own, um, I think it is changing for our, you know, younger generations now. Yeah, it so yeah. just makes you think about your relationship, even just talking about this. So uh, this is going to be helpful to a lot of people, I, I, I can mm. imagine. Um, yeah. Well, as men, you know, we've talked about in, in previous episodes of, of Jimmy Shed, you know, the tools that we can use for mental health and the tools that we can use for this. What are the kind of tools that we can use and we can draw upon and we can teach ourselves and learn uh, to to more engage in this in emotional side uh, in yourself and, and, and your partner? Uh, Trish, do you want to start? Yeah. Yes. Well, it's um, uh, this fellow, John Gottman in the US, who did all this research, 45 years of research, mm. where he just watched couples either be successful or fall apart. You know, he's the world's most um, experienced voyeur, I reckon. Um, he, he, What he found was that there's a whole heap of tools. He's developed like a toolbox for people to use, and they're very accessible for men. And so, there's some really simple concepts like being able to turn towards your partner, which basically means being on the lookout for um, moments where your partner calls for your attention or makes a bid for attention. Mm -hmm. They can be minor little moments where somebody just goes, huh. And if you're attuned to that and you turn towards it at least 70% of the time and say, what's that? Be curious. Um, that is one of the things that helps relationships build trust and stability just something little like that but there's a whole heap of tools that we can use listening tools um you know tools of getting to know an, another person um the Gottmans have uh, a card deck which is a free app um and it has 14 different card decks decks that you can download from the internet and it gives you a whole range of ideas around all of the stuff that he discovered in his research how to get to know somebody, how to express your needs, how to respond with empathy. Men that I work with in couple in work in a couple relationships love it because it's it fills in those gaps that they didn't get in that um, socialization process when they were growing up. The other thing I'll say is too, and uh, this, you know, this this is something that we've always known or we've known for a long time is that um, when people come and do couples therapy and, and men are just as brilliant as women are in being able to be vulnerable and express their feelings and learn these skills, but afterwards they go into relapse, they go back to their old habits. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've got a book now called 365 Simple Ideas mm -hmm. to um, Improve Your Relationship. 
And it's basically a book where you open it up each day. There's a little explanation and a task for the day. And so it's a great tool to every day be able to do something positive for your relationship. And that's something I think um, as a bloke we could get, get around. One small thing yeah. every day. Just turn over the leaf. That's good. <laughs> where, where do you get that from, Trish? Uh, so it's just in uh, publication process at the moment. So it'll be available in Amazon, Booktopia, all over, right. everywhere, uh, probably by the end of the month. Wow, I love that. Oh, yeah. Definitely keep an oh, eye out for that one. Dr. Yeah, it's going to be a really sure. good tool. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Dr. Clive, anything else to add, add to that? Um, look, I think what I certainly learned from Trish, because Trish taught me about my, the Gottman kind of experience and the Gottman skills. So I owe a great deal to her. Uh, I think it really shifted the way I worked with couples and it really shifted my own relationship and, in fact, probably all my relationships. Mm. I think what I see in working with the lots of men is traditionally trying to fix problems, going back to that old kind of stereotypical mm. notion. And the skills that Trish is referring to which you practice in the session, you know, with, with the therapist is really learning to stop fixing and listen. And the most important thing about the listening, and I've, I still struggle a bit with this, <laughs> is hearing the stuff that you don't agree with. Mm. Yeah. So the Gottmans are really clear about acknowledging a partner's point of view, particularly when you don't agree with it, mm -hmm. because that's important information your partner's trying to convey and vice versa. They too have to listen to stuff that you're conveying that they, maybe they don't agree with. And it seems to be from this very simple skill of validating the other's feeling state, validating the other person's needs or preferences, uh, this can really do a, a gear change. And you can see this in a session. And Trish, you know, she's much more experienced than I am. But you can have couples come in and you can feel the tension in the room and, you know, you're sitting there going, welcome, everybody. And, but by the end of some of those sessions, if you can get them to rehearse and practice initially this kind of skill um, in an, a, an exercise like called a, a wrapper pour, um, people get a taste of, oh, well, maybe this is how my relationship could be. Mm. So you've kind of opened a window and that's the idea that when you're coming to this therapy session, and nobody wants to go to therapy, we much prefer to be having a good time, but when you actually turn up, that there's this taste of this is how my relationship might be more often. Mm -hmm. So they're really remarkable and simple skills. Mm. Yeah. They're very simple. Yeah. yeah. Is, there yeah. Still, is there still a, um, I mean, a reluctance? To come to therapy you know like well, what do people come do, do couples come at in a dire situation and and is there uh, when should we start doing it i guess you could do it whenever right but in your in your experience trish people coming to you do they, do they come as the last resort they're like oh we've finally gotten here and what would your advice to be to people who have a good relationship who want to improve it 
Yeah, so in my world, what I see is there's three typical times that people come to therapy. Time one is usually three or four to six years after having your first baby. We know that about two-thirds of people have significant relationship problems during that time, and it typically leads to emotional disengagement. So they get three or four years down the path from their baby. They start to realise they're not having to spend so much time always on concentrating on baby now they're looking at their relationship and going I don't really know you and I'm not even sure if I like you and I don't know if I can talk to you anymore and so they will often come to therapy then because they don't want their relationship to break up because they're a family now Mm -hmm. so that's one type the other type that come are often come because there's been some sort of crisis in the relationship so it might be an affair or it might be drug and alcohol use or it might be something like that so that's that's a second type of couple that will arrive and that can be any length of time in a relationship they could be in a new relationship or have been together for 30 years Mm -hmm. Um, and the third type that come are those that just have absolutely no relationship skills at all and have probably been doing what we call emotional flooding Um, so when they would get into a difficult conversation they become physiologically aroused so their heart rate goes up their blood pressure goes up and um, when that happens their brain gets compromised from all the adrenaline and cortisol that's going through it and they go into either fight or flight and so one person typically there's one person who will fight and one person who wants to run away we call it the pursuer and the withdrawer Mm -hmm. and in that situation everybody becomes so aroused that they can't communicate any longer Um, the impact of adrenaline and cortisol on our prefrontal cortex is that we can't listen for meaning we can't be creative we can't problem solve we can't process our own emotions let alone listen to and and empathize with another person so that what happens then is they do a lot of damage in their relationship so they say hurtful things they use what John Gottman calls the four horsemen and that gets them into trouble and so they come to therapy because their relationship is often very volatile Um, people who we call enrichment couples so couples who are doing pretty well but there might be a couple of little things that they think, oh, we'd like to do that better, or they're just curious about what, you know, what could be a better relationship. Very occasionally they might try therapy, but more commonly they'll come to a workshop. Uh, we run what's called the Art and Science of Love Couples Workshop. We do that all over Australia. And that's a great place for people who just want to learn some relationship skills to come. They come as a couple. Um, it sounds weird because you're sitting there with a whole lot of other couples, but actually couples don't share their own personal stuff in public. They, they are provided with information and an activity to do as a couple. They go with the venue is usually large enough that you can find a nice little quiet corner and go away and do the activity together. And as Clive was saying before, getting a, the opportunity to practice and learn those skills in a safe environment means that it's much more likely they can go home and put it into action. Mm-hmm. So at those workshops, we usually have a team of people like Clive and myself who rove around and help any couples that kind of get stuck or just need a little bit of an assist. And so that's a great way to learn some skills without actually having to do therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you talk about it as a skill, I guess it's people just think they might have it or they you know, but it's something, a muscle that you need to, you need to work on. Um, and I guess as, yeah. as, as men, as you mentioned earlier, Dr. Clive, that we, we might've, that might've been shamed out of us or, or it's just, it was just oppressed and, and we need to learn that again. So 
when yeah. are the signs? When should we come? You know, like you, Trish, you mentioned the times where like there's a big blowout, you've, there's an there's an affair, there's something drastic that's happened. What's a good time to to come? And you know, you mentioned six years after you after the first baby. When what are the warning signs? You look at your partner and and say, "Oh, I don't love you anymore." That seems like it's way down the track still. What, <laughs> yeah. What's the start? Where where where's the start of it? I think uh, a really uh, yeah. a good quick go to is having the same similar arguments over and over again. Mm -hmm. That's often a good indication where we kind of go around and around the mulberry bush. I want to be right. You want to be right. And we argue and argue, we criticize, we defend, and nothing really changes. Another, not always, but often a good indication is of that, that intimate relationship between each other. Does the affection fall off? Does sexual frequency fall off? It's not like you have to be swinging from the chandelier seven nights a week, but, mm. you know, do we come together to spend time just with us? And, you know, in a modern life, that is sometimes extremely difficult to orchestrate. Mm -hmm. So those would be two key things, the same issue recurring over and over again, and that kind of a drop-off in kind of intimacy. And not just the physical, but an intimacy of one of the things that the Gottmans observed and I've learned from Trish is that they have this really uh, good way of informally catching up with each other on pretty much a daily basis. And what that means is that couples have this time where you stay up to date with who your partner is. Yeah. So, Jimmy, you come in and you tell your wife and you go, oh, just at this webinar and that Dr. Clive, he was such a nuisance. I really hate that guy. Trish, she was wonderful. And your wife goes, yeah, I hate that Dr. Clive. He's, and she's never met me, you know, but she vindicates you. She supports you. And, you know, and then you swap and she goes, well, you know, she's running her own business and today all the invoices stopped and you kind of go, sweetheart, that sounds awful. There's this listening validation stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm talking too much now. I'll stop. No, it's okay. No, that's great. And that, and that, that is, that is one of the, the best ways to stop, you know, to, to keep your relationship travelling along in a nice um, connected way. Um, the, the trap, though, in that one is that we often in that conversation we want to give um, some kind of solution to the problem or give mm. advice. Or the worst one is let's just say, Jimmy, you went in and you told your wife that, you know, you, Dr. Clive was a bit of a nuisance today and she says, well, you know, Jimmy, you can be difficult too. So where she tries to give, that's right. So she's where she's not on your side. The other thing that is really useful for people who might be wondering about their relationship is we can do a relationship health assessment. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically what that involves is that uh, the couple provide a, a, some information about the way that they're seeing their relationship, um, a little bit about their own backgrounds, and they complete what's called a relationship checkup, which is quite a long questionnaire. And then um, someone like myself or Clive will spend uh, a couple of hours with them, taking them through what their what their uh, results are from the data that we collect. And from that assessment, we can give them a fairly clear pathway to what they can do to strengthen their, their, their strong points, but also to assist with the things that they find challenging, which may or may not include maybe doing a little bit of therapy. And the earlier you do that, 
the better it off. And it, you are. And the other thing is that once you've done it, we talk about it as the dental model of relationship management. That is that you maybe engage in one of those assessments every six or 12 months just to make sure you're staying on track mm -hmm. because relationships can shift and change as circumstances in our life shift and change as well. Mm -hmm. and it's like dental floss to your marriage. <laughs> That's right. That's it. Dental flossing your marriage. Oh, there's another okay. T-shirt, Dr. Clive. Yeah. We've got another one. There's another T-shirt. We have a business going here now. <laughs> Jimmy's shed, I think, has churned out about 20 T-shirts uh, through the series so far. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> there's just another one. The, um, the thing that pops to mind when, Trish, when you say that is um, because I tend to work mostly with men is men often arrive in the room kind of in a bit of a shell shock in that they have been thinking the relationship is kind of okay, not great, mm. but it's 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 good, you know. And they put their focus maybe on um, usually on being that provider role and somehow taking their hand off the steering wheel of the relationship. And they rock up to that first session quite in shock. And I don't know where I've read it now, but I, I think this kind of idea of emotional neglect is one of the key issues that women often leave the relationship mm -hmm. and men are kind of somehow thinking, well, what, what was wrong? So mm -hmm. it's this kind of, there's this gap in awareness as well. So that the, the regular check-in on a daily basis is that way of just kind of, I don't know if you, if your relationship came with a dashboard and it was flashing lights, but the way to check in is, in that daily regular check-in and if mm -hmm. those issues are coming up then pay attention for men um often they think you know it's it'll be sweet that's the comment that often comes to mind oh it'll be mm -hmm. sweet things are a bit tough at the moment but it'll be sweet and i think that that can happen true but i think that often it doesn't i think often as clive mentioned before this what women often see as emotional neglect seems to kind of seep into the relationship and we think about relationships as sort of a sound relationship house that analogy of the house mm. and when we're in this emotional neglect it's like white ants are sneaking into your house and mm. they're eating away the pillars of your house um, and one easy easy you know the conversation that Clive is talking about is really a good one to do but a really simple way to kind of check how things are going is simply to find the courage to on a regular basis maybe even every couple of days say to your partner how can I love you a little bit more today mm. and wow. you'll you'll be surprised how women are able to answer that question and 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 lots of men as well can answer mm. that question in very simple ways that but that allow them to feel loved again yeah so if you do that on a regular basis it's amazing how the impact that can have that might be something that someone a man has never said to their partner in a relationship is it do you find that it would that be strange well you know if, if there's this sort of disconnect and we're, we're we're growing together with kids and and things have been going a little sailing along and you know oh yeah she'll be okay yeah maybe when the kids move out you know well whatever um and they and this man's thinking it's all sweet and we get this advice to go how do how can I love you a little more today? <laughs> what is that? Just like wow, that seems like way out of there. Is is there um? How do we build up to that? <laughs> I would say so I think um, there's a go, go ahead, Clive. Oh, okay. I was going to say there needs to be a bit of a gear shift. Like men, uh, particularly after the arrival of that first child, really seem to take on that provider as a 
core source of identity and it is a very important role. So they're really focused on doing that so, and often they're exhausted and tired by juggling all those ball, uh, those balls in that provider role so that when a partner goes, hey, I feel a bit alone and neglected there, like I'm doing that, I'm doing this, like yeah. give me a break. Yeah, I'm working my little tush off here. Mm. And so this resentment. And so they're not really paying attention to the cues. So it's really hard when you're feeling like tired and exhausted for someone to say, I'm emotionally neglected. Mm. The flip side of that is, though, after that child, uh, men often kind of report, well, once that child came along, I, I felt a bit like the, the third party. Um, so much energy, so much focus went to those little tiny, mm. you know, bubs that require so much time and attention that life thought, well, I'll just get on with the providing role and, and lead this here. Mm. So they kind of, the key relationship shifts to the periphery. And then what seems to happen in the house sometimes is the main relationship comes between mother and child. Mm. And, I, you know, I tell people that's a bit of a recipe for disaster, like, those children need lots of time and care, but this check-in still needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's often difficult for men to hear that message when they are they think they're doing a great job elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, makes yeah. sense. Makes total sense. Yeah. But Trish, yeah. Trish, just to just to sum up, you know, what does a what does a great relationship where we're checking in all the time what what does this one look like you know it's it's baby steps to to there if we're starting from you know disaster or, or starting from scratch and we need to work on on the relationship but what does it look like in a in a inverted commas let's say perfect <laughs> communication relationship <laughs> Yeah, so it looks not dissimilar to probably what most of us experience in relationship, except that couples who are doing very well together and have a good solid communication process going don't have escalated conflict. They manage conflict. They don't let conflict get in the way. They And conflict is used as a way to bring them closer, not to send them apart. That's what that communication is about. How to have conflict in a way that helps me connect with you not be pushed away from you. And the second thing is when it doesn't go well, master people in master relationships are really good at repair. So the aftermath of doing, you know, making a mistake or saying the wrong thing or losing my temper, it's about the repair. And those are the two really big differences, I think, between couples who are doing quite well together and couples who are struggling is really how they manage conflict and how they do repairs. Dr. Clive? So I think for men the bind is... There's been some criticisms usually thrown their way that tried to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been the right thing. So quite a lot of men I see kind of kind of go low on the radar, whatever that expression is. They go into silence and, and try and scoot under the radar, mm-hmm. thinking, well, I tried this, it didn't work, so maybe I'll just keep the peace. But what happens then is that you're not saying stuff you start to bottle things up. There's more and more pressure in the bottle. The pressure starts to grow. And then, I don't know, there's one last thing uh, and then the, the pressure explodes. You do what Trish said. You come out in this anger. Your frontal lobe's gone missing in action. You're saying these destructive things and then you're kind of ripping away at the shreds of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's a kind of a key dynamic that I often see. And so 
if instead of the pressure cooker, if you can have a voice around ongoing concerns, you know, I was a bit, uh, I was a bit pissed off when you said that to your mother, and I felt embarrassed at the barbecue. Um, those kinds of things. They might still be walking on eggshells, but you're having more of a voice on a regular basis so the pressure is not building to that explosion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I looked to my um, grandma and grandpa, who are not, not with us anymore, but uh, at my wedding, my grandpa, they've been married for 60-something years at the time of uh, when my wife and I got married, and, he, and we asked him to, to make a little speech, and, and he was he was shaking with with his cane and he got up there and, um, and he's a, he's a, uh, a, a war veteran. Um, he's lived a long life, a lot of time away, uh, at sea, uh, my dad didn't see him for six months, the first six months of his life because he was at sea and they had this 60 year marriage that was uh, by all accounts, um, amazing. And, and he, he, he got up at our wedding and he said, the key to it all is simple. It's communication. And he went on and he didn't say too much. It was five minutes. And he said, it's basically just having this open dialogue with your partner the whole time. And he was writing letters. They wouldn't get a letter for two months. And that was the only communication they had back in that, back in that time. And now you just can't imagine that now. And they stayed strong through, through war, through long periods of time away from each other. And and it's just, I guess you can look at those sort of role models, um, whether they're grandparents and these long relationships. And and I, I took a lot. I don't know if it was something that, um, you know, you guys as professionals recommend, but, you know, we just, I just chatted to them. And, and that was so powerful to a lot of people. I think everyone was in tears when he was talking because mm-hmm. it was just so powerful. And I think you can look around you and see that these people are doing great. And I don't know, it might be something we could ask and, and, and get a little advice and, and then obviously if, if like we've talked about, if things go to a next level or something, then, then seek some help and, and advice and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And remember that it's a lot of small things often that make a successful relationship. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Dr. Clive and Trish. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. The best. Um, thanks, Trish. Thank soon. Yep. Thanks a lot. Bye. See you guys. Cheers.